You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Dear Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God, for this time where we've been able to worship you. Um, Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, God, that they'll just, uh, your Holy Spirit will enable your truth, God, to affect the heart of men and women and children. And the Lord, that when we leave here today, God, we'll just be that much closer to you. And God, that much closer to your mission and tied into what you've got going on. So Lord, we just pray right now that your will will be done in this time. We pray us all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Everybody can be seated. It's been a long week, so I don't know if it's been a long week for you or not. But it has been for me. Dwayne, the goatee looks good. Okay. That's our excuse. I'm growing my beard out um, for prostate awareness. But for it used to be no shave November, now it's prostate awareness. But any chance we get to not have to have a razor to our face is nice. Okay, I'm starting a timeline or a stopwatch. Okay, we had a chance to to preach. You know, I was thinking we could just do like a best of for the Genesis series. I don't know if you guys watch like Mike and Mike, but they have a best of show and it just consolidates all their good stuff into one hour. And in my mind, that's how it would be. We'd show clips. I would talk about some of the stories that we reviewed, scriptural principles that we have to live by. But in all actuality, it probably, probably would have been like the uh, Chris Farley show. I don't know if y'all remember SNL, but uh, where he would just talk about a movie and be like, yeah, remember that time that Abraham almost killed his son? Yeah, I mean, that was cool. <laughs> so we're going to go to Colossians today. And if I was going to title it, it would be Holy Harmony, right? Uh, I thought about harmony and holiness But honestly, there's this appeal of holy harmony that feels a little bit like the old Batman and Robin, you know, holy harmony, Batman. And so we'll be in Colossians chapter three. We're going to start in verse 12, but we're going to be kind of hopping around that one chapter. So I'll give you a second to get there. It's a book that Paul wrote. He's writing to the church in Colossae. So... All right, and I'll be reading from the NIV because that's what you're used to. So Colossians chapter 3, and if you're having trouble, because Paul's letters, they kind of get bundled up there, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So that's just a good way to remember it. Okay, so we'll start in verse 12. Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with, one, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so if we're talking about unity, and we're really just talking to believers today. So if you don't know Jesus, you can just go ahead and get out of here. We won't judge you. Okay, everybody's good. No, I'm joking. But uh, we're talking to believers. We're talking to the church and maybe what unity looks like inside of the body of Christ. And this is what the church looks like when somebody becomes a Christian. And this is the reason that Paul creates a huge timeline in ministry. It's very rare, except when, you know, the, first, the church was first started, that people jumped into ministry as soon as they became a Christian. Paul, in his guidance to Timothy and Titus, says that it shouldn't be a new believer, Right? Because what happens is you become a Christian and you start reading the New Testament. You read the scripture and you think, oh man, this is good. And then you go and you're like, go around the other believers like, oh man, this is awesome. And like, hey, we're all going to go to church together. This is great. The songs are great. I love listening to the preacher preach. And then everyday church matters get in the way, right? And it almost looks like a new relationship. And all you old married folks, you know how it is. Someone starts dating and you're like, that's cute. (laughs) You hear about the love letters, you see the post on Facebook or Twitter and you think, you'll learn, you'll learn. (laughs) Newlyweds all starry-eyed looking at each other and you think, they'll get over it, they'll get over it. Because you know that the daily maintenance The day-in, day-out grind of marriage will eventually wear away all of that fluffy stuff until finally, hopefully, it gets down to like bedrock foundation love, which may involve an argument or two. It may involve a dirty look every once in a while. But that's true love. When you're so passionately arguing that the food that's in your mouth is flying out, And you don't even care. That's true love. And that's what happens with the church. We come in starry-eyed, doughy-eyed Christians. And we come into church and we realize, oh man, there's more to this than meets the eye. There's the day-in, day-out grind of staying in this place and watching ministry happen. And ministry isn't everybody getting saved and growing into beautiful believers It's a nasty look at people getting saved, falling back into sin, nasty sin that it affects people all around them. It affects the church. They curse you. They curse the Lord. They curse the church. And then they come back crying and say, hey, we want to be restored. And you know what? The Bible tells you that you have to restore them. And then you do it all over again and it happens all over again. But this is it. Our walk with the church looks like our walk with Jesus because the same way people treat the church is the same way that I treat the church and the same way that I treat Jesus. And a lot of people can't handle it. It's difficult. And in the midst of all of that, you know what we have to do? We've got to get along. And there may be a time that you're arguing so passionately that the food, the communion's coming out of your mouth. But that's church, right? So Paul gives us guidance here, but here's the issue with verse 12. It starts off with, therefore, and anytime we see it in the Bible, we have to ask what it's there for. So we have to go back to verse 1. If we're going to look at real, holy, harmonious church, we got to go back to 3 verse 1. 
And this is what Paul tells the believers. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And it's really important for the church to get along. You know what? We've got to keep our mind on things up there. We've got to keep a heavenly perspective. And he goes on to say, he's like, listen, it's not on earthly things, right? On Jesus, on heaven, on this overarching view of all of creation, that's what you have to keep your mind on. And we all know, being in the church and being a part of that daily grind, that it's really easy for the earthly things to creep up. And we'll take a look at that. But he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. So not only is there this heavenly perspective, there's also this selflessness that should rise up in a good church member and in a harmonious church. That my life is now hidden in Christ, who is, and it says verse 3, we'll keep reading. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I'll be honest, one thing you've got to watch out for, the best way to lose the heavenly perspective is to only, you're the earthly minister. And sometimes the daily maintenance and grind of the church, you know what, somebody's got a vacuum. <laughs> they do. Somebody's got a mop. Somebody's got to climb up that shoddy scaffolding and change out those gym lights. Somebody's got to do these earthly tasks. But it's really easy in those moments to forget the heavenly perspective. And that's why as believers, and listen, I know this is impossible, but wouldn't it be great, Stan, if we could have this standard? If you're accomplishing the Great Commission, then you get to do the earthly things. Because a lot of times we lose that spiritual focus because we're so focused on the daily grind of things that we have to get done here. And what Paul says is, listen, remember, there's got to be a heavenly focus. It's spiritual. This is spiritual here. And if you can spiritualize hanging that light out there, which you, some can, that's a spiritual gift. You need to use it and hang the light up. There's other times that you need to focus on the spiritual things. If you're not sharing your faith, if you're not discipling a brother or sister in Christ, if we're not seeing the kingdom advance, then you know what? The carpet doesn't matter. And the toilet can stink but it doesn't matter because the kingdom's not being accomplished. And so Paul says, listen, there's got to be, listen, there's got to be this heavenly focus. There's got to be a selfless approach that my life's now hidden in Christ. And so now that my life's hidden in Christ, it's not about what Ledger wants. It's about what Christ wants. And it's not about what even Ledger needs. It's about what Christ needs. And sometimes, very rarely, very rarely, those will conflict with one another. Very rarely, there are going to be times that I don't want what Jesus wants. Actually, it's really often. It's actually, it's multiple times. It's throughout the day. But when that happens, I'm looking for what Christ wants in the culture in this church. And that gives harmony because now, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about Justin. It's not about Richard. It's not about Alan or Chris. It's about what Jesus wants. And the times that we tangle up are when we tangle up over what Jesus actually wants as we walk with Jesus. How many Mississippi State fans do we have in the room? Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay. I'm kind of disappointed. There should be more. Uh, you know what I like about Mississippi State? And I would make an Alabama joke, uh, but it's too soon. Um, 
What I like about Mississippi State is this. When you go to the games, we're talking about some of the most, the, the most diverse, unified crowd you'll ever be a part of. Racially, it's diverse. I'll be honest, at Ole Miss, the only black guy you'll see is Justin and the running back. <laughs> but Mississippi State, it's racially diverse, socioeconomically diverse, probably sexually diverse, right? Somewhat. Everybody's got their maroon on. They even Google it the day before to know what to wear so you know if we're going to white out the stadium or something like that. You don't want to go in a maroon jersey when they're whiting out the stadium. Everybody's unified. They all have this one purpose, one goal, and there's unity in that. Nobody cares if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Nobody cares if you're white or black or how old you are. If you can raise a cowbell and cheer that team on, there's unity there. That's what it's supposed to be like in the church. That we've all got our Jesus banner. We've got our Jesus jersey. We've got our Jesus cowbell. And we're just raising that up. And we're cheering. And we don't care about all the little personal differences that could get in the way. And that's what it should look like as we have a heavenly focus. And so then Paul says, listen, there's going to be these earthly things. They're going to creep up. So in verse 5, put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gets into it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so what he does is he lists off some of the earthly things, the old flesh that would come up. And he says, hey, you've got to put this stuff to death. Sexual immorality, the word there is porneia. It's... Um, Greek word, and it's the sexual junk drawer. So any kind of sexual sin, you can pretty much load it in to porneia. Pornography, porn, all that comes from that word. And so adultery, fornication, whatever it may be, comes from this word. And he uses this word as something that we need to put to death. He goes into impurity, which is just uncleanness, any kind of evil thought. Lust, which is passion or passion about sinful things. Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. And when he does this, a lot of you, hopefully, you're thinking, oh gosh, okay, there's some things I need to put to death. And immediately you should be thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to put these to death? We're going to get to that. But he points out, hey, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And here's one thing that we want to know about sin. Sometimes people may look at this church and they may say, What's y'all, what do y'all talk about sin for? Jesus saved us from sin, Right? And we wish that was the case, that we were just immediately, Alan said it in Sunday school, just zapped with God's Holy Spirit, and I don't sin no more. And we just go through life and everything's perfect. But the reason that we bang on sin so much here is this. Wrath is coming because of it. Wrath was dealt out because of it. And so when I think of Jesus on the cross, and I think about the suffering that he went through, all of that was to save me from sin. And so now, listen, that impassions my zeal to fight sin. Because now, hey, I don't want to be friends with anything that did that to Jesus. And so that's why we fight so vehemently. That's why we preach against it. Not to mention the fact that families are destroyed, that culture is destroyed, that community is killed by sin, right? And churches are killed by sin. And so Paul says, listen, you've got to put these things to death. And this, the wrath is coming. The wrath has been here. And he points out in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
But now you must rid yourself. Whew, listen, Paul brings up the past. Some of you are running from your past so hard that if somebody ever brings it up, you go crazy. The Christian, the Christian past is this. We remember what Jesus saved us from. And a lot of people are kind of twisting this now. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, Jesus likes me. Um, before Christ, we're enemies with God. And if we had a chance, you know what? We would go on sinning forever. And I told God, I was like, God, I just thank you that you saved me. Because without Jesus, I am evil. I'm worthless. But God says, listen, Paul says here, you used to walk in these ways, but now Christ has saved you. And you've got to put these things to death. So he lists off a few more. These are community killers. These are church killers. He says, but now you must rid yourself, verse 8, of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So now he lists off even more. And so, once again, as a good believer, you're thinking, anger, yeah. Rage, yeah. Malice is like taking anger and rage to a whole new level, right? Slander, we're checking off thinking, okay, now this looks a little bit like me. I got to put that to death. And I was listening to Michael Youssef this week. He's someone from the UK. And he was preaching about the spirits, uh, the fruits of the spirit. And whenever he was doing that, he said a lot of believers, they grit their teeth, they pick themselves up by the bootstraps, and they decide, I'm going to love. I'm going to have joy. I want my LTG to ask me how joyous I've been this week. And they want to discipline themselves into these spiritual fruit, right? That's not how it works. And he had this really great observation. He said, first, these are fruit, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, no, you won't have one without the other. That's my misunderstanding, because I, like many of you, think, I just got to work on my gentleness. I've upped my grace a good bit, but, you know, gentleness is lagging behind. I've gotten more patient, gotten more patient. I did a 90-day evaluation, and I've got to raise that up a tad, but for the most part, my gentleness is what really needs to be shored up. And he pointed out they're all related, and he said this. He said, true love will make you patient. It makes you gentle. And all of these things, because they're not tied to us, these aren't our attributes. This is tied to God's Holy Spirit. And it's not like just the gracious part, I mean, just the gentle part gets in. It's not like just the patient part gets in. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit, just so you know. Um, the same thing goes with these attributes. As we're talking about how we, as, as we put to death these things, we're going to find ourselves as we deal with the sinful flesh that it's kind of all going out. Listen, I'm a good guy, but I only cheat on my wife once a year. <laughs> right? You can't be good. You can't be godly. You can't work your way into these different attributes. Listen, I'm an honest guy. I only lie when I'm drunk. <laughs> these now deal with who I am, and it's a whole person view. And if we could take ourselves to anything, it's not self-discipline that we're going to discipline ourselves to the point of, these, of putting these to death. It's a Romans 8.13 view where Paul says, listen, if you live by the flesh, you die. Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He says, but if by the Spirit 
you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you live. And John Piper had this really great sermon. And what he titled it was, Be Killing Sin or Sin Will Be Killing You. It was a life changer for me. Because he talked about identity in Christ. He talked about the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. And how it helps us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that's how we put these things to death. It's not waking up every day and saying, I'm not going to lust anymore. I'm not going to do it. Because God's Holy Spirit has to be the core of all these things. And you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. But God's Holy Spirit's there to keep moving you forward. You used to walk in one of these th- on some of these things. Now you're putting, putting them to death. And then he goes on in verse 9. He says, listen, if you want to have holy harmony, <clears throat> do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge and the image of its creator. So listen, don't lie to each other. And... I was telling Ethan the story of Ananias and Sapphira last night for our bedtime Bible story. It's like a thriller. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You need to read the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira is in Acts, and they are new believers. This is post-Jesus, and the most, this is wrath after Jesus we see, so just check it out. They're followers of Jesus. They're in the beginnings of the church It's this really cool hippie moment where everybody in the church is selling all their stuff. We're going to bring it together. We're all going to live together. And uh, so Ananias and Sapphira go. They're going to sell their house. And they sell their house and they decide, Ananias says, hey, let's just tell them we sold it for this much and we'll keep this bit for us. Honestly, it sounds fair. All of us, the reason it shocks us is because we identify with Ananias and Sapphira. Their mistake is this. When Peter comes up and says, hey, Peter, we have this house, we have this land, we sold it, this is how much we got, we want to give it to the church. And Peter's like, is this all you got? And Ananias lies to God's Holy Spirit in Peter. And when he says yes, he dies. And I remember the first time I read that, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, and I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) What? Wife comes home. The young men of the church go bury him. And uh, the wife comes home. When Sapphira comes home, she says, where's Ananias? They say, we need to ask you something first. Uh, Ananias said, this was all you guys got for the house. Is this true, Sapphira? And she says, yeah. And when she does, Peter has this really ominous line. He says, the feet of the men that buried your husband are outside, and they'll bury you too. And... She dies. And I looked at Ethan. I was like, what do we learn from this? (laughs) You do not lie to God. And he's like looking at me like, oh, my goodness. We need to talk. Um, Don't lie to each other. Listen, you can't have community if there's deceit. And the truth is, every LTG, listen, if you're not an LTG, you should be in an LTG. There's got to be somebody that's asking you the hard questions. Some of you never have to lie because your whole life is a lie. But the LTG questions go through and they're checking purity, they're checking truthfulness, they're checking all of these different things. And some of us have lied in those moments. The story of Ananias and Sapphira needs to weigh heavy on us when those questions are asked. Because you don't want to die. Okay, so then we move on. We're in verse 11. And there he says, 
here in God's church, check it out, this is very relevant. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Okay, first off, I'm a white man. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, I graduated from a historically black college university, JSU, here for my Tigers. Okay, nobody? Okay. Um, I lived a huge chunk of my life in Africa. The majority of my friends, I have really diverse friends, right? Reggie, I do count you as a friend, so, okay, good. Um, same, okay, it's reciprocated, okay. Um, so I will address what I think are issues now. So we're talking about Black Lives Matter in this moment. And listen, guess what? What other pulpit in America that's white is going to talk about this today? <laughs> Zero. But here. Black Lives Matter. For the believer, you know what we say? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And what we find is this in the scripture. And listen, we think times are racist here. In this world, a Gentile and a Jew, some of the biggest fights in the New Testament are because, listen, Jews thought themselves, they thought they were so much better than Gentiles. And part of Paul's problems in the New Testament is that he's having to guide them now to reconciliation inside of the church. And so what he does is he gives us this verse, and this is how we live. That there's not black, there's not white. There's not rich, there's not poor. There is no label outside of Jesus Christ in my life. So let's point out some of the issues that we're looking at. The other day I I posed this to two of my black friends. Well, one was a friend, the other guy was I just met. Um, So I'm going to pose it to you. Be honest, clear your mind. Something's happened with your remote, you're at home, and the TV channel stopped on a boxing match. Nobody watches boxing anymore, but you know what? You're too lazy to get up and change the channel. The boxing match has, because there's no Asians in the room, we don't have to represent that racial demographic. The boxing match has a black guy and a white guy fighting. You know nothing about these guys. They look the exact same. So don't give the other person, the other race, a tattoo that you don't like. They are totally equal. And I asked the guys, I said, who do you root for? And they both started laughing. Because they're honest in their response that if they knew nothing about these two guys, they were going to root for the one that was black because they were black. And the majority of white people, when they saw that, they would think they would root for the white guy. Now, they may not stand up and cheer But I told him, I said, that's what we've got to get rid of. Inside of the church is that, listen, and what Martin Luther King Jr. said was that the content of character, that you see the interviews and that makes you like someone more or less. The problem is this, all of our racial bias, and everyone has it. Everybody had it in the the groups that he listed off. A Scythian was a Russian and a barbarian, right? Right? And so all of them had their own racial bias, their own want to see their people succeed. And what he says is, you know what? You don't have people anymore. What you've got is Christ. And that's your identity. 
And that's going to be the difficult thing in Southern culture and in American culture and internationally, and it always has been, for us to divorce ourselves away from our people. Now, white people are always like, I ain't got no people. Um, but we do. We have our own biases, our own stereotypes that we've built in. And you know what we've got to do? We've, get, we've got to begin to move past that. And we've got to be okay with, you know what? I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. You know what? Black lives do matter. When I see racial injustice, I want to stand against it. But what I'm standing up for is Jesus. Because everybody needs Jesus. And what we see is this, the racial divide, whether it's a white power movement, Aryan movement, or whether it's a black power, black movement, what it's doing is it's actually chipping away at the gospel. Because what it does now is it's going to either use a perverted, non-saving form of the story of Jesus to get my way. So now I'll look at the Afrocentric Jesus, black Jesus. I got white Jesus when he wasn't either. And so the reason that we take steps to make sure we have racial reconciliation and that we only bear the banner of Jesus Christ is because we have the heart that we want Jesus to be raised up. And I don't care about white people. Like, I don't care about the, the color part. I don't care about skin color. I only care about Jesus. What Paul's having to do in Colossians is what we're going to have to do today. Because everybody comes in here, and the truth is, listen, some people come here, and they've been here for a while, and they felt that kind of wash away, and they have this really fresh view of race because of Jesus Christ. Others come in here, whether they like it or not, whether they're black or white, they come in with some kind of racial bias, and depending on who greets them, that's going to stir something up in them. You know what we do? We give them Jesus, and we give them new identity. That, listen, nobody cares about your race. We care about Jesus being preached to all races, all people. So let me just say this. In a moment where we can choose to stand for our people, and listen, race with this church, I don't think is the issue. America might be the issue. Because now we could actually take this verse and say, you know what, there's no American, and there's no, I don't know, I don't know how to say, Iraqi? Uh, and we can do that, and now we've got a whole other barrier that we have to look at within ourselves to say, wait a second, I only care about Jesus, and I want to see Jesus lifted up. And you know what that means? A lot of times we'll be somewhat marginalized in all of these really strong debates because we're just toting that Jesus line. And whenever we get a chance to stand up for justice and preach Jesus, we need to do that. But for the most part, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for that identity to go out across the world. And if I'm racist in how I do it, the chances are of me being saved are slim, right? I'm probably not saved if I'm racist. So here we go. We got all of that. Listen, everybody's on the same playing field. Nobody cares how nice your truck is. Nobody cares how nice your car is. This shirt, I never wear name brands. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Dirt Cheap had this Izod sweater for $3, right? There's no name brands. There's only the identity of Jesus. And what I would encourage every believer to do as we look at racial reconciliation, because I want to, we need to hit that, is that whenever you look at that, you say, how can I preach Christ here? Don't think about, have my people been offended? Don't even think about, I'm going to look at the sides of each. Look at it like, I just want to preach Christ here. That'll have you involved, I think, in a social discussion, but it's the involvement that a Christian needs to have. 
Because everybody's starting, I'm seeing more flags now than ever in every which way. But we need one flag, and that's Jesus. Right? Okay, so we'll move on. So then we're back to our, our primary passage. So now that we know all of that is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. And now here's the good stuff that we need to put on. This is the stuff that we need to clothe ourselves in. And this is what people need to describe you as or us as. Compassionate. We're kind. We're humble. We're gentle. We're patient. Is that said about us? Don't think you're going to self-discipline your way to it. You're not going to grit your teeth. You're not going to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and make these things happen. These come from the Holy Spirit. If you do, you'll lose it. And everybody will be like, Dad was doing pretty good until he lost it that day. I would have described him as being kind for at least two days. The word he uses in verse 13, bear with each other, means to put up with one another. That you're actually, something's grating on your nerves, and you're just thinking, okay, all right. Uh, and you're putting up with it. Because we're not all going to get along. Some of us wear colognes the other doesn't like. Some of us don't wear deodorant, which other people would like. Some people don't care about the way that they park in the parking lot. Some people don't care to wipe their feet off when they come into the car- on the carpet. Some people aren't going to flush the commode. <laughs> you're disgusting. No, I'm <laughs> There are going to be lots of things for us to disagree over. And what Paul says is, listen, with this heavenly perspective, you're going to bear with one another, put up with one another. And then he says, this is the key part here. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. But then he takes it even deeper. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So now it's deeper. And if I could tie anything back to our diversity... In verse 11, it would be this, that we need to forgive as God forgave us. And we've got to begin to move past some of the, and move into healing now, right? And that goes out to everybody. And so we forgive as God forgave us, and that's the gospel still tethering our heart. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What I like about this, what I like about the Holy Spirit is this. He takes care of the love. Because you know what? You can be patient and not love someone. (sighs) Come on, come on, come on. Patient means that you actually wait. You can actually wait. You can tarry and still not have love. You know what? You can be kind. You ever had somebody be kind and they didn't want to be? Waitress or something like that. Don't let them go back there with your cup. I'm just kidding. Um, You can have all of these virtues, and if you don't have love, they're empty. And so what happens is we walk with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, we spend time in His Word, we spend time in prayer, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit kind of crop up in our life as we're filled by God's Holy Spirit. And it's all in love. It's not some dysfunctional, grit your teeth, smile, (laughs) I want to kill you. (laughs) Um, it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. And that's what happens when God's Holy Spirit's in us. And that's what happens with love, right? It binds all of us together in perfect unity. And then we get to verse 15. Let the peace of Christ, got to make sure I'm in a different translation in my mind, rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. I think the one thing that needs to happen is, is we have a heavenly focus. We're always finding ourselves thankful for what God's forgiven us for. 
And that makes it a whole heck of a lot easier to forgive other people what I need to forgive them for. Or I need to ask for forgiveness for. You know, if you struggle in your prayer life, this advice was given to me, it's really good advice. If you struggle with talking to God, just start your prayers off with thanking him. And start thanking him for all the things that, are on your, that come into mind or come onto your heart. And you'll find yourself beginning to pray for the things that you're thankful for. You'll find yourself beginning to be convicted for the things that you're struggling with. And you'll find that prayer actually becomes constructive, not some little to-do list at the end of the day. But he says, listen, as Christ rules in our hearts, that's what needs to be happening. Christ is over our heart. And then it says, verse 16, let the word of Christ, this is the key, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And we'll wait and sing the rest. I mean, it's going to talk about singing. So a while back, me and Ethan, it was like a couple of weeks ago, I'm a bad dad in that I let my son ride in the front seat. My sister Amy is a car seat Nazi. She posts really disturbing videos on social media. You may have seen them of what can happen if you don't have your kid in the appropriate car seat, face the appropriate way, buckled into the appropriate actual seat of the car. But I let Ethan ride in the front seat. Um, there's this weird sense of security because we're in a bigger truck. We win in an accident. Um, and so he rides in the front seat, and we're sitting there, and we're telling stories. We're joking. And we come close to this red light, this last red light before our house. And it's right on red, so I pull up. I I rolled through it. I took a right. And he goes, huh? And I was like, what? And he's like, you didn't stop at the red light. So I explained the right on red principle. I confessed to my failure to actually come to a complete stop. And that, you know, when that happens, you need to stop and then go right. And I said, did you want me to stop? And he said, yeah. And he said, I wanted to stay there. And I was like, okay. And I said, he said, why? And he's like, to hang out. It was such a sweet moment. Like, he was enjoying that fellowship so much that uh, he wanted us to hang out there. And I think that that's what happens with the church. And this is where you got a gut check. If you're not hanging out with Jesus, you know what? You don't care. And all of these responsibilities of what to put to death and all of these responsibilities of what to clothe yourself with they become some weird to-do list that your kids will see right through, and a lot, of churches, a lot of church members will see right through. But if you let the word of Christ dwell richly with you, when you read that word, some of you, you've gone times without reading the Bible, and when you first jump back into the scripture, it feels good. You got a cup of coffee there, you got a highlighter or a pen, and you're investing in that time with God. It feels good. And you just want to hang out there. And that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not, and some of it's because of all the institutionalization that we've done, but the church was supposed to be people that they just wanted to hang out with Jesus. And when they came to church, there was that shared devotion. Instead of everybody wearing maroon, they've got themselves clothed in the things that Paul lists in verse 12, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Because they are for Team Jesus. And that's where I would want to encourage us today. If we're going to take anything home, it's verse 16. Because it goes on to say other things. Listen, it gets kind of weird. That's why we stopped reading after admonish. But it says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish 
Admonish means to gently correct one another with all wisdom. And then it gets kind of weird here because, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. Please don't sing to anybody after church. Nobody wants to hear that. But what it is is this. That's corporate worship. That's believers getting together. And one of the reasons that I think Jeffrey does well in leading worship, he's got a congregational voice. He's not Celine Dion up here, hitting notes that we can never hit, right? He's got a congregational voice, and especially one that I think men can join into. Because when a woman hits falsetta, you either have to go down to Barry Manilow bass or up to, I don't know, who's that girl from Frozen? Um, But the congregational voice, the fact that we can all sing together, all of these diverse backgrounds coming together with one theme. You know, and Janice said a while back that she believed that the idea that, you know, you split the seas so I could walk right through them, like that idea was something that the congregation shared. And all of our stories were different. Mine had to do with a pregnancy and jeopardy and worried about Alicia's health and all of the uncertainty there. And others of you, yours are different. You had different Red Seas, but our stories were different, but they're the same because of the theme of Jesus. And that's what we have in verse 16 that should comfort us. And that's why we sing. It's one of the reasons that we all join together. It's congregational. It pulls us together and we have community in that. And then lastly, we have this verse. The praise team could come on out. In verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the guy that can spiritualize hanging the floodlight. Because now it's not just about lighting up the parking lot. His heart, when he's doing it, he wants to make the place safe for people to come and learn about God. He wants to light it up so that the single mom wrangling all of those kids getting in the car can see to put the key into the door, right? And so now it's a spiritual thing. And these earthly things are, end up being spiritual. What would seem to be earthly end up being spiritual. This is holy harmony. This is us not facilitating something that's not real. This isn't us finding some way to market to get you to like people of other races. This is God's Holy Spirit working in your heart, drawing you to His truth and having His will done in a church. Don't try to facilitate it on your own. Don't go walk into West Jackson if you're some white cowboy thinking you're going to go and learn about black people. Let God's Holy Spirit work in your heart, and move you to action. All right? And listen, if that happens, the identity of Jesus, this church, one of the reasons that you like it here is because it feels like a football game and we're all cheering for Team Jesus. And you know what? On fourth down at the end zone, Jesus scores the touchdown. And so there's something to cheer about there. That's holy harmony. So what I would ask is that we all close our eyes just for a second. You can go ahead and stand up. But that as you close your eyes, this is what you need to be asking yourself. Am I, by God's Holy Spirit, actively contributing to the spiritual harmony here? Am I, by God's Holy Spirit, making this a better church? Is there sin that's buried in my heart, whether it's racism, or whether it's lust, or impurity, or sexual immorality, or anger, or malice, or slander, or gossip? Are there any of those sins in my heart 
that are hurting the unity of the church. Last week we got to hear all the things that we could do here to work for God. This, is week, this week we're going to talk about all the things that God does in us to work for God. And so right now if you feel conviction, if you feel like it's been too long since you've been in Christ and God's word, and so it's been too long since you felt his Holy Spirit, then this altar is going to be open. Reggie's going to be down here. Alan, I'd ask that you cover the other side. And you can come pray with somebody here and have some accountability. Or you can just come and pray at the altar and just ask for forgiveness. Because most of my morning was spent in confession and repentance. Because listen, all of us have to work together. Christ is working in all of our hearts to accomplish his mission. And we don't want any weak links there, not because the church will be less productive, even though that plays into it, but because we want all believers to be in fellowship. We want to hear your voice. We want to shake your hand. We want to see you respond in worship. But sin and things that pall us, they destroy that. So the altar's open. We're going to pray, and then we'll sing a song together. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, that you work in our hearts. And Lord, I'm still putting to death so many things. God, I'm still fighting to put clothe myself in these holy things, God. But Lord, in the midst of that, you bring unity because you're worth it. And God, we may not like some things. We may struggle and battle with things that we see in the media. But Lord, I pray that all of it comes through the lens of you. And that God will we'll unite as followers of Christ. Lord, that we'll be utilized as followers of Christ. And we don't care about skin color. We don't care about how nice you dress or what money you bring. But God, we pray that you will just move us to do your plan in the culture. God, if people have struggles or sins that they need to come down here and pray over, or Lord, maybe they're fighting to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you'll help them now as they come down. And Lord, that all of us will be useful for your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.